Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine. Today we're going to be in John chapter 14. John chapter 14, and we'll begin reading in verse 1. Uh, If you're not in the practice of bringing a Bible, or maybe you need one, uh, let me encourage you to bring it. And if you do need one, let me know, and we'll, we'll get one for you. Some of the verses are going to be on the screen behind me that will maybe help a little bit put things in context. Context is very important. And uh, when you're reading Scripture, to kind of know why are they saying what they're saying. You can't just open the Bible and it be like a, it's not a book of axioms. It's not a book of good advice. Uh, it, is a, it is a narrative. And, uh, and so it's important to know why is it there? What is it trying to do? What does it mean to them? What does it mean to me? And these verses that we're going to read today take place right in the upper room in Jerusalem during the feast of the Passover. Uh, This is the night that Jesus is going to be arrested and he's going to uh, be tried and it's going to lead to his crucifixion tomorrow. And so he uh, he is really teaching them some significant things. Uh, this is taking place right after the, uh, the Feast of Passover, which we now will call the Lord's Supper. But this is ramping up to the very end of Jesus' earthly ministry. He has spent 33 years living, demonstrating a perfect life, and now he is fulfilling three years of a public ministry. Jesus is with the 11 here. Previously, there were 12, as you well know, but just a few minutes ago, Jesus dismissed Judas Iscariot to go and do whatever it is that he's going to do, which we know is to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Right after Judas left, now you can imagine that after three years of taming these 12 men to some narrowing degree, that when they find out they were so surprised when they found out, when Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me. And they, they all thought, was it me? I, they couldn't imagine that one of them would. Now, we know that Judas was a thief. The scripture says that he would sometimes take money out of the purse. And so he, this wasn't just a, a bad day for Judas. Judas's heart hadn't been changed. And so when it becomes apparent that Judas is the betrayer and Jesus dismisses him to leave and to go do whatever it is. Can you imagine the emotional tensity that these other 11 are experiencing? Because after all, like him or not, zealous or not, Judas is a brother to them. He's walked with them for three years. I can't imagine the confusion when Judas gets up and leaves the room. Now, right after Judas leaves, Jesus tells the rest of them that he's leaving them. Now, Judas just left. That's one end of the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum is Jesus, and he just told them he's leaving too. Except he said, and you cannot follow me. Well, remember, this is one of the things that appealed to them was when Jesus looked and he said to them, come and see. And very shortly after, he said, follow me. And they've been following him now for three years, diligently, sacrificially. And now he says, I'm leaving and you can't, you can't come. Now, Jesus is their everything and they gave up everything to follow him. 
And they couldn't wrap their heads around Jesus not being in the room. What are they going to do? Where are they going to go? Not to mention the grief of, here's another about to leave. And they were close. Too many questions to process at one time. And then it was out of panic and anxiety, maybe some leadership and some, I don't know what all was going on with, with Peter, but this is in chapter 13, verse 36 to 38. I'm going to read that. This is, this is the context of Peter's statement. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus said, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can't I follow you now? Not we, I, right? <laughs> I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Heavy words. Jesus told him, specifically to Peter, I'm leaving and you can't follow me and you're not even going to make it the night without me. It's heavy. It's a heavy room. It's a heavy place to be. And chapter 13 ends with this prophecy of betrayal. So skip right over the chapter break because it's not there in the original, right? We did it so that I could say chapter 14 and you could find it really quick. So chapter 14 is just the continuation of that. When Jesus at the midst of, and often we don't see it in its context, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Judas just left. I'm getting ready to go and you can't follow. You're not what you claim to be, Peter. And here's what Jesus says. Let not your hearts be troubled. What's well, too late? They already are. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, and that where I am, you may also be. And you know the way to where I am going. And Thomas said, Lord, do we, we do not know the way. We don't know where you are Going? How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long that you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen the Father, has, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. So it's with broken and confusion and troubled hearts that disciples hear, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. You see, Jesus sees, senses, I don't think it's miraculously, it'd be probably written all over their faces, their anxiety, and how does Jesus respond? Well, the same way Jesus always responds to brokenness, and to trouble, and to chaos, and to confusion. He has compassion on them, and he points them to the remedy, the Father. He is saying to them, in essence, remember, remember 
all you have seen, all you have heard, all that you have done, remember the Father. Now, the events over the next couple of days, guys, are going to rattle you, and they're going to challenge you. And, and before the night is even over, most of you, I'm going to see your back as you're running through the woods. But you need to remember the Father. Because these events should not shake what you have heard, what you have seen, your experiences so far. Should, your faith should not be rattled if your trust is in the Father. Believe in the Father. Believe also in me. So filter the events. You know, I think about Jesus when he is being jerked around, spit upon, Beards plucked out, crown of thorns on his head. When they're beating him with rods and scourging him and nailing him to a tree, it probably looks like Jesus is out of control. But Jesus simply says here to them, it's going to look like that. But as you place your faith in the things that you have already experienced, know this. I and the Father am one. Believe in the Father. Believe also in me. There's a lot of faith here that I believe should rush into them. Believe in God. Believe is the, the Greek word pistuo. We're going to do this a little bit today because it's very important. And the word pistuo means to have confidence in. So here it's directed toward God. And we live in a world where it's like people want to talk about believe all the time, like it's some kind of a formula word. Just believe. Just believe. Believe in it, you can, and it can happen. you got to believe. And I hear people say that all the time. I'm sure that you do too. But belief is not the point, right? The belief doesn't exist. It's, it's not animated. It's the object in which you put your belief that matters, right? Can we just agree on that? Believing in itself is not spiritual. The object of which you place your belief is. So when you hear people say, just believe, I don't even know what it means. Or people say, believe in yourself. I don't, I don't know what it means. Or if a liar looks at you and says, you can believe in me this time. What's my filter? My filter would be, well, you've done nothing but lie to me. I have no mechanism by which to believe you. So believing is arbitrary. Did you know that when J.M. Barry wrote Peter Pan, there are three things you need to fly. You remember what they are? Anybody remember? Faith, trust, Pixie dust, yep. Faith, trust, and pixie dust. Doesn't that rhyme really well? Well, in the original, it didn't include that. Here's the problem. Uh, Jane Barry said in Peter Pan, all you needed was faith and trust. And there were kids getting severely hurt when they read Peter Pan jumping off their beds. Because all you need is faith and trust, right? So they added pixie dust, so nobody has pixie dust, <laughs> Kids, stop jumping off the beds. Jesus isn't directing them to a different perspective. Jesus is directing them to a person, a relationship. So the word here is also very important. It's in present tense, which means it's 
always to be happening. It's an active voice, which means it is your responsibility. What Jesus is saying is, I cannot, I will not believe for you. He's done a lot of that so far. That stops now. It's also in the, for, for those of you who are, uh, you know, like grammar, it's in the indicative mood, which Greek loves. It's, it's, it, the word, it means it as if it's already happened. Uh, so it's already, uh, live in the reality of it is kind of what Jesus is saying. Live in the reality of it. It's already occurred. And then lastly, it's in the second person plural, which you will appreciate this. It means all y'all, okay? All y'all. So what Jesus is saying here in Greek is all of you 11 band together and encourage each other and keep remembering everything that you've experienced. And none of that, none of your experiences, none of the Old Testament, none of creation, none of God's promises, none of the, the, the prophecies, none of the miracles, none of the teaching, none of that is in jeopardy over the next few days. Then place the hope that you draw from your faith and place it in me. Regardless of what your eyes see, remember. Remember. Yeah, you listen, if you put me in this situation without this context, and I see Jesus crucified, I'm probably done. But Jesus tells them here, even though you're about to see a crucifixion, it's all part of the plan, gentlemen. But even in Jesus' last moments, when he could be getting consoled, he is concerned about their troubled hearts. He tells them to trust in God, to trust in him, and to trust the plan. The plan that they have believed in, the plan that Jesus has taught, is going to seem in jeopardy. It's not. Now, I want you to lay, just for a moment, I want you to kind of lay your context, your life on top of this, okay? Okay. So the things that God has promised, his presence, his love, his care, his, uh, his presence in your life. Though your circumstances sometimes may make you scratch your head and you wonder, God's plan in your life is never, not even close to being in jeopardy. Never. Remember everything that God has done up to this moment. Your current circumstance does nothing to change God's faithfulness. Jesus with us is not the goal. Jesus with us in the flesh, I should say, is not the goal. Jesus in the flesh only gets us to the goal of redemption. If Jesus doesn't leave, if Jesus doesn't obey, that's when the plan is broken. The plan isn't Jesus with me. The plan is Jesus in me. And then the plan is to seek and save the lost, to glorify the Father. We need to remember that humanity is lost and it's headed to hell. The plan isn't broken if Jesus goes. The ultimate plan is broken if he doesn't go. So in a nutshell, I want to break this little bit down. In essence, don't filter what you're about to experience through what you are about to see men do to me. But filter it through belief in what you have already seen God do through me. So that's, 
That's what I want us to do. Like the events of your life, don't, don't understand the events of your life by how you see men operate and the threats that are all around. We need to filter the circumstances of our life through what we have seen God do up till now. And God is faithful. If the sin problem is not remedied, what, matter, what difference does Jesus' earthly ministry make? There, there is no hope of an eternal relationship with God the Father unless Jesus experienced the going. Look at verse 1 and then again down in verse 11. It's the very first and last verses of this context. Verse 1 says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Verse 11 says, Believe me that I am the Father and the Father is in me. Or else believe on account of the works themselves. You see, what Jesus desires for them, what Jesus' greatest desire for them is belief, faith, trust. Here Jesus gives a great gift to them. Keys, clues, Actually, Jesus is giving them answers before they even know what the questions are. The key to helping a troubled heart is remembering the past, not predicting the future. And I want you to think about that for just a moment. This is what Jesus is saying. You're about to encounter some things that you could not predict. And if you wait until that moment to start trying to solve all the clues, don't solve them without going back and seeing what the picture was supposed to look like. Faith, then, is the opposite of a troubled heart. Jesus is saying, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe. And this is tough. Because if there's ever been an anxious, panicky, threatened, chaotic world, it's now. Right? Even for Christians. In fact, sometimes I think Christians kind of struggle with it more than the rest of the world does. Because our worldviews are in conflict with each other, probably in a stark reality. But when you're troubled, don't simply say believe, actually believe. When your heart is troubled, just know this, it's, it's absolute proof that you're not believing. I would, I would ask, how many of you are worry warts? How many of you, yeah, you don't have to wave. I would ask. I'm not going to because I know. <laughs> How many of us jump to conclusions? How many of us struggle with fear and anxiety? What's well, just proof that we're not believing? Believe in God. Believe also in me is the remedy to your trouble, to your troubled hearts. If you're troubled, it's the symptom that you're not truly trusting. And by the way, this was the remedy for the trouble in your heart, whether it was 2,000 years ago or whatever you're facing in this very moment, is learning how to trust God's ultimate plan. Verse 1, don't be troubled. Trust me. Trust God. Twice in verse 11, Jesus says we should believe. Trusting Jesus for who He really is, trusting God, they're included in each other. Belief, faith. Remember, belief is, is going to be our, our ultimate goal. Belief, faith. These look backward, right? So uh, I've taught this a little bit before, something that the Lord has taught me over the last couple of years. But when I look back and remember, this is where my faith is, right? I can look back and I can, be, I can have faith today because I can see God's hand at work. Nobody has faith in a single moment because there's nothing to compare it to. 
I have nothing there but anxiety because I don't know what to do. But when I filter my life, my circumstances through what God has done, at least I have some room, some, some expectation that God's going to continue to be faithful. When that is true, that God is faithful and it bolsters my faith, when I consider the future, then I can have hope, hope in the future because I can look back and see God's hand. Now, not listen, we sung today, this is my story, this is my song. Your, your, your story is a lot bigger than your part in it. If your story is God's story, we've got thousands of years of God's faithfulness. It didn't just start with you. God's not just faithful in your life. God has been proving his faithfulness for thousands of years. So you don't have to just go back to that one time. You can go back to Moses' time. You can go back to Abraham's time. You can go back to Jesus' time. You can go back to any point and you can see there is no fault with God's faithfulness. And because of that, I have every reason when that's my faith, that's my hope, that I can see into the future and know that this situation is going to be the thing that catches God off guard. No matter how big and devastating it may be. It may be life and death, but how arrogant it is that all of God's faithfulness is going to come up to this moment in time and just fall apart. No, believe in God. Believe also in me. So when I look back in faith, I have the confidence to look forward in hope, which means that I'm free in this very moment to just believe. And what is the proof of belief? I think Jesus says this many, many times. The proof of belief is love. So just like these guys, we struggle sometimes. It's hard to trust God sometimes. It's hard to be confident sometimes. It's hard to obey, to trust, to believe. And not just believe in God, but believe God. It's difficult, especially sometimes. And everybody thinks there sometimes is some kind of an exception. Yeah, but it's just harder for me. This situation's different than where you get hope because this is my situation and it's just hard. I know. But Jesus helps them and we have every confidence to know that Jesus will help us. So look at verse 2. I know, a long time, verse 2, and everybody's like, oh my, he read 11 verses. I know, it's, it's going to go fast. <clears throat> Third and it should. Uh, all right, so we look at verse 2, and we see that Jesus says, in my Father's house are many rooms. So we are continuing this idea of bolstering their confidence and encouraging them, right? In my Father's house are many rooms, if it were not so, what I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. So uh, this idea, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to kind of share some things that I don't, want it to, I don't want it to shake us. But I know we talk a lot of times, in my father's house are many mansions. That's a, that's a terrible translation. Uh, and I'll explain, I'll explain why that is uh, in just a moment. But in my, in my father's house, in my father's house, in my father's uh, wikia, it means a dwelling that you live in. In my Father's presence, it, where my Father dwells, where does the Father dwell? Well, He's omnipresent, right? So where my Father is, there are many Monet, right? Monet. It's, the word means there are many rooms. In my Father's dwelling place, there are many places to dwell. And the word Monet is actually only used two times in all of Scripture, and they're both found in John chapter 14. 
The other one is in verse 23 where Jesus says, and listen closely, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we'll come to him and make our home with him. Does that mean that God and Jesus is going to bring in suitcases? No, it's talking about a relationship that, that's ongoing, this, this place where we dwell in each other. Wait a minute. So the, in my father's dwelling, there are many places for you. Where God dwells is large. In God's place are many places. His space is infinite, right? He's not going to run out of space. Heaven's not full. Where God's presence is is not full. And you look at the end of verse 2, there's a place for you. I go to prepare a place for you. The argument for our trust in Him is based quickly on three things. Number one, this is God's house. This is not God's hotel, right? God doesn't put us up. This is a place where we come together and we dwell with Him, not just with Him, as children of Him. Number two, He never runs out of space. Number three, there's a room prepared for each one of the 11, even loudmouth Peter. And by the way, that means even you. If you trust Him and you walk in faith, so what Jesus is saying is when you consider the events over the next couple of days, guys, just remember what I'm doing while I'm gone is making room for you that we can be together again. So the same advice, the same encouragement is whatever it is that you're going through, try not to filter it through your own, like what's going to happen to me? Try to filter it through if God is for us, who can be against us? Try to figure, you know, pr- process it out as greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. Try to Try to process the... Though he slay me, yet will I serve him. Kind of a process is what Jesus is saying. When you compare the the frustration and the chaos and the sorrow of your troubled heart this very moment, try to think of it in in light of eternity in the presence of the Father. Because this moment is necessary for you to have that moment. So regardless of your trouble, remember that your dwelling place is with God, not here. This isn't the goal. This was never the goal. You will have a place in his house as his child. Very powerful to them, especially, and I think to us. So Jesus said, yes, I'm leaving, and no, you can't come with me. Yes, you will be scattered this night when they strike the shepherd, and no, you cannot help. In fact, you will fail tonight. This is probably my favorite part. You will fail tonight. But don't let your grief, don't let your sorrow... Don't let your fear or your guilt, don't let your shame or the burden that you carry produce trouble in your heart. Now, I want you to notice something. There's somebody still in the room that has yet to betray Jesus. Peter. Peter's going to betray Jesus differently in narrative. Peter betrays him by reputation. Judas betrays him for money. Judas didn't get this encouragement. Judas went out and hanged himself. Peter remembered. Peter remembered. And he began to filter his circumstance through his faith. Verse 2, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, 
what I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go prepare a place for you, shoot two times Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. And when I was a kid, I used to struggle with this. I mean, I used to think, I mean, Jesus is making heaven. God's up there on the throne, just sitting, the father sitting on the throne and Jesus is, you know, throwing up, you know, framing two by fours and the father says, hey, it's time, it's time to go be born. And Jesus is like, I'm not finished yet. It's like, well, you can finish when you get back. I mean, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. Is this not part of the plan all along? I mean, what is Jesus going up there to finish? What's left to finish? Anybody else ever struggle with that? Jesus, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. How is that not already prepared? And what did Jesus do in those few days that got it all prepared and now it is all prepared? I, maybe it's just me. Apparently it is. But heaven is in disrepair with Jesus is not there. That's why he'd come to learn to be a carpenter, right? No, that's a terrible joke. Don't tell that. That's terrible. That's terrible. So I want to give a little bit of a different context for what Jesus is saying here. It's not, it's not exactly what, what we read it to be. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 34, Jesus has already said, Come, you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Here Jesus says the kingdom is prepared. Already, it's prepared from the foundation of the world. That's before you. It's true. Kingdom's prepared. Your place in it is not. It's not ready yet. It wasn't ready yet. The word prepare is written in aorist tense. English doesn't even have an equivalent to that. So quite honestly, when Jesus says these things and they're written this way, it's impossible to translate it into English, but it has the sense of something being tied to a particular beginning or a particular end. So here what Jesus is saying is, I go to finish what has already been started and the kingdom has been started and I'm going to finish the kingdom so that it can become real in your life. It's already real but it can't be real to you yet because I've not atoned for your sin yet. I've not satisfied the wrath of God yet. I've got to go and prepare a place for you, but the place is not heaven. The place is the cross. I'm not going to go work on rooms. I'm going to pave the way to the room. The kingdom is prepared, but your place in it is not. It's not available to you yet. You can't get there from here. Every obstacle from that distance between wherever the depths of depravity you begin in to the immense wonder of wherever the Father is, so far the chasm between us. Every obstacle from where we are to where He is is about to be removed. Every sin that's, that causes us to stumble over ourselves in our journey to the Father is about to be removed. And that's the first thing that I think Jesus means when He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. But by the way, where is God's dwelling? Isn't it everywhere? So this place that Jesus is going to prepare is the process, not a, like a def defined place. Remember what John the Baptist preached and proclaimed, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus also preached that. The kingdom of heaven is already, but the message for them was is at hand. It, it's here now. It is so close. It's just on the other side of the cross. 
been prepared since before the foundation of the earth. But your particular place in it has not. There's no, no way for man to access it. So when Jesus is crucified, that's when the preparation is complete. This is why when Jesus was on the cross and he cried out, it is finished. Jesus didn't go to heaven to begin a construction project, but to finalize that redeemed sinners can dwell with the Father in one sense in heaven for all eternity, but in another sense right now. Yes, we will dwell forever with the Father. But you can actually get into the kingdom right here, right now. If you remember. I think Jesus is confirming that this is what he means when he goes on to verses 4, 5, and 6. And you know the way where I'm going. That word know, we've been talking about the word know over the last couple of weeks, but this word know is the word ido, which means to perceive, right? The gnosko is another word to know, which means learned or experienced. Ido means perceived. Gnosko is brain. Ido is mind. Gnosko is objectively but Ido is intuitively, right? It's experience versus a puzzle solver. And what Jesus is saying to them is, you know the way. Not they've experienced it. You should know this by now. What he is saying is, you've, you've had all the clues all along the way, and you're going to continue to get more clues. You know the way. You know the way that I am going. You've got all the puzzle pieces it's written in present tense, which means that they have been getting clues and will continue to be getting clues to put it all together. Thomas said, Lord, we don't know the same word, I don't. We don't know. We can't figure it out. We don't know what the puzzle looks like. We don't have the box. Jesus said, I am the box. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In other words, I go to prepare a place for you, and as I go, I actually become the way that you get there. I am the truth that you hold on to to get there. I am the life, the life that you will experience from now on in your relationship with the Father and the eternal life that you will enjoy when you get to where He is. When I say I go to prepare a place for you, what I'm trying to say to you is this. I open the way, I am the way. I confirm the truth, I am the truth. I purchase the life, I am that life. And that impacts every moment from now on. So the kind of life that you live here, I hear people say things like all the time, just give me a little cabin in heaven. I'd be fine, just a little old rickety old cabin. There's no such thing as cabins in heaven. There's no such things as mansions in heaven. Those are not the reward, folks. Jesus Christ is the reward. He's the reward. He's the thing we long for. Gold streets are a byproduct with Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. That's the goal. He is the goal. He is the way. I know you may get tired of hearing me talk about this, but yes, Jesus is incredibly exclusive and everybody can apply and everybody is accepted who believes in the Father and believes also in the Son. There is a word here, the, which in Greek is ho, the way, the truth, the life, and the article is found in each one of these. Now, he makes it even clearer 
with the article, the only, the only, the only clarifier. No one can come to the Father except by me. Pretty clear? If Jesus is a good teacher, he's the only one. The only way. Jesus made all of these other I am statements so the Pharisees could hear him. Here, the Pharisees aren't there. He's making it very clear to the troubled hearts of his followers. Because Jesus, this very night, is going to purchase our forgiveness and become the way to the Father. He's going to make our room, our dwelling place where we are and where we will be. He makes it not only available, but suitable and certain for all of the redeemed who will place their faith in Jesus Christ. And if your faith is not in Jesus Christ, there is no other way. There is no other truth. There is no other life. Look at verse 3. And I go and prepare a place for you. I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you may also be or be also. I think this is such an incredible phrase. I will take you to myself. This shifts up, up, up until now. It's like, guys, remember the kingdom. Remember the kingdom. And here all of a sudden, it shifts from a kingdom to a king, from a, from a place to a person. Where Jesus is, there is heaven. What is the essence of heaven? The essence of heaven is the presence, the immediate presence of Jesus. So when he says, I go to prepare a place for you, the place that he goes is the cross. Otherwise, Jesus would have made this statement at the ascension, right? And that would have made sense. It's like he's about to go into heaven. That's when he would say, hey, I'm going to go. and I'm going to prepare a place for you. He does it. He does it before the cross. And he even says, and I will come again and receive you into myself. What this text focuses on is not only a return to heaven, but, but the reunion with Jesus after the cross. That's what Jesus is talking about, this presence that's ongoing after the cross. And I know we read this a lot of time at funerals. It's like Jesus is going to come again and receive us unto himself. Time's going to come when he's going to descend and take us back to heaven. But the truth of the matter is when Jesus comes again is after the, after the cross, at, at the resurrection, and he receives them unto himself. And I think this gets even a little bit more clearer here when the word, I will receive you unto myself or take you to myself is actually what the word is. It's the word paralambano, which means to, to join to, to be associated with, to become companions with. So after Jesus resurrects among his very first words for the very first time, Jesus said, tell the brothers to meet me. Right Now all of a sudden they're brothers. He's never called them brothers before. He's receiving them unto himself. And he's, the father is for the first time their father because he, they're brothers. This is a special relationship, right? Not only did they have it, but everyone who has said yes to Jesus after the crucifixion, after the resurrection, receives it as well. It's not by anything you did. Jesus is the one doing the receiving. Look at what Philip says in verse 8. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it'll be enough. It's the same word that Paul uses about uh, concerning God's grace being sufficient. It is enough. Show us the Father. Now, that'll satisfy us. You know, you keep talking about these 
a time will come, a time will come, and that's, that's great for that time, but right now my heart is still troubled. So all of the things that Jesus has just taught them, they are still not getting. Philip's still not getting. What they want to know is God near us right now because it feels like the world is just falling apart. So show us when we see the Father, that will be enough. Jesus, Jesus is like... So from verse 7 to verse 11... Six times Jesus says virtually the same thing, that he and the Father are one, that his presence is the presence of the Father. Verse 7, if you had known me, you would have known my Father. Again in verse 7, from now on, do know, you do know him and have seen him. Verse 9, in response to Philip's request here, we just read it, but have I been so with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? Again in verse 9, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Verse 10, do you not believe that I am the Father and the Father is in me? Verse 11, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Therefore, Philip says, it'll be enough if you just show us. <laughs> Jesus is like, show you? How can you say this, Philip? Is it enough? Do you want to know the Father? I've revealed him to you because I and the Father am one. That mean they're the same person? Well, not in essence, but in truth. I've been showing you all along. You can walk, you know, everybody wants to have a relationship with God. This old man sitting on a throne, but Ultimately, what we really mean by that is we want a relationship with the Father because it's the Father's heaven. It's the Father's kingdom. And Jesus is saying the only way to the Father is through me. It's, it's the same thing. I, I represent the Father. We represent each other. So if you want to know what your relationship is with the Father, everybody, well, I, I just don't know if I'm right with God or not. Here, here's how you know if you're right with God. What's your relationship with Jesus like? The relationship with the Father, you will know in eternity. The relationship with Jesus, you know that right now. Are you following Him? Are you trusting Him? Because I'm telling you, no matter what the circumstances are, if you're right with Jesus, your circumstance pales in comparison to the joy of a relationship with Jesus Christ. That, that's what Jesus is saying. Show you the Father. You don't need to see the Father. You see me. Don't be troubled. Don't wonder if you're right with God. No, because of your relationship with Jesus. Jesus is the key anyway. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. But how? Jesus has ascended, right? Jesus has ascended. He's in heaven. The Bible says he's at the right hand of the Father interceding for us now. So we've got to look down five verses. I haven't read those yet, but let's look at verse 16. And I will ask the Father, Jesus said, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. This is Father's speech, by the way. I won't leave you as orphans. I will come to you. You. So when the Helper, the Holy Spirit, came, Jesus came. It says that verse at the end of verse 17, He dwells with you and will be in you. That's at Pentecost. 
when the Holy Spirit descended and Jesus ascended into, into heaven. He means, I am with you now physically. I will be with you spiritually in you when the Spirit comes. I think that's what Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 8, verses 9 and 10. He says, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. So what Paul is saying is echoing what Jesus is saying, that the Spirit of God dwells in you. That is the Spirit of Christ. That is Christ. And Paul isn't referring to the second coming, as awesome as that's going to be. Paul's talking about right now. There is a now and later. Everything Jesus is telling them is good for now and for later. He has gone away physically, precisely, so that he can be near not to 11 but to every believer and not with them in them. He's not left us as orphans. He has come near. So you don't have to wait for his hope. You don't have to wait for his presence. You don't have to wait for his peace. It's as close as he is. Which means as he is helping these 11 deal with their very limited ability to understand the sorrow, the guilt, the grief, the shame, the fear, the failure that their hearts are going to experience, I assure you, brothers and sisters, he is interested in yours too. And every promise that he has given to them, he gives to every one of us. That compared to whatever it is that your eyes have yet to see, you need to understand it through God's faithfulness. And you need to remember that you have a home with him and wherever his home is is your home and Jesus has gone so that he can prepare a place for you and he is that place for you. And then when he ascended, he actually delivered the Holy Spirit into us. And the reason that our bodies and our minds and our souls and our hearts would experience any kind of sorrow is because our circumstances make us forget it. Our circumstances make us focus on our feet, on a job, on a diagnosis, on a relationship, on our bank account, on our health, on our whatever it may be. There's a million things that Satan's going to hurl at you to make you look at your feet. So this morning, when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, I am. I think it's an incredible encouragement to those 11 guys who didn't quite get it, then they got it after the resurrection. That's why Jesus told them ahead of time. Well, he tells us after the fact, which should have a lot more teeth to sink into us. Now we know what to do every day. Now we know what to do when circumstances are beyond our control. We put our trust in Jesus Christ. We put our hope in him. We obey him. That frees us to love in this moment instead of bite our fingernails. So I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters. The same promises that were true for those 11 that changed the world are the same promises available to us today. God has prepared a place for us. It's prepared now. Let's walk in it as we walk to it. Let's pray together. I'm going to ask you to stand with me if you would.
we've got a choice that we make, and that's whether or not we're going to live in the kingdom that we make or we want to live in a kingdom that, that God establishes for us. And I think that a lot of what Jesus taught, I believe the disciples understood in part, but I don't think they could, I don't think they could get the kingdom until it was manifested. I don't really feel like, I don't feel like they were really caught up. They understood a lot of the truths, but they didn't understand how to apply them in the kingdom. They didn't understand God coming near and being not just with them, but in them. Uh, I don't know that we understand that either. But I know that when Jesus gives these admonitions to these 11, he's helping them process none of these truths, none of these truths actually helped them. I mean, Peter still failed tonight. All the disciples still ran into the woods tonight. Uh, you know, three days from now, all of them are still going to be in disbelief about the resurrection. And even eight days from now, Thomas is still going to you know, doubt. It wasn't until after Pentecost, truly, when they received the Holy Spirit, that everything began to change. Everything began to change in their hearts and minds when the Spirit of Christ entered into them. And then they connected every dot. So I want to say to us, that's not something that we have to wait on. The Spirit, the Spirit is already available to, to dwell in us. So if you're trying to like figure out your life without receiving the Holy Spirit, it's just not, it's not really possible. In fact, Jesus even said the world can't receive it because the world doesn't know it. Can't, can't do it. If you're trying to figure out your life without Jesus, that there's, it just, it, you just can't do it. It's not, it's not possible. It's not just hard. It's impossible. Oh, you might have some good days, but without, without trusting in Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life, it's just a roller coaster ride until death, or he comes, and then eternal death. So this morning, I just want to encourage you to take inventory of where you are with the Lord. If you want to know where you are with the Father, then know where you are with the Son. And you want to know where you are with the Son, evaluate how faithfully you are obeying the Spirit within you. Is it just a decision you made that doesn't impact your life? Your relationship with Jesus, is it just, a, just something you claim? Or is it being lived out in faithful obedience to the life of Christ? This morning, I want to encourage you, if you've not accepted Jesus as your Savior, or, or maybe, maybe let's make it more general. If you know today that you are not walking with Jesus, you're not obeying what you know the Spirit leads us, will you just slip your hand up? I won't embarrass you. I'm not going to have anybody turn around. I just want to know how to pray. If you, if you know today that you are not right with 
Jesus. If he is not the way, the truth, and the life for you, would you just slip up your hand? I want to be able to pray for you. Put it up and you put it right back down. Let me encourage you today. There is hope. And if you just think about your circumstance and just hold your, hold your, you know, at the end of the road, just you, you see the problem in your life and just take your hand up and frame and just frame eternity and frame the Spirit of God and you can filter your circumstance through the hope of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for your word this morning and it's one of the most prolific statements that we cling to that you are the way, the truth, and the life but and as exclusive as that is, it's to whomever will it's not exclusive at all so I just pray that you would help us to walk faithfully in a world of grumbling and bemoaning and arguing and division and and all of the things that make us keep looking at our feet, I pray that we would be able to take the hope that we have because of your faithfulness and we can help the world around us believe and trust in you. Have a relationship with you, not just a check mark beside your name, but an ongoing relationship, time spent, time invested, We love you, Lord, and we thank you for the hope that we have. Thank you for Jesus who willingly laid down his perfect life so that he could become our way, so that he could become our room with you. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.